millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. To it this week, we're talking uh, about the playoffs and the month now that is slowly becoming known as Murktober. Uh, Armando, <laughs> how are you? Uh, I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm a nervous wreck. It's not the position I'd like to be in. We're recording this, and the Dodgers are down two to one, and it's a two-two ball game and an elimination game for us. Uh, a little bit uneasy, to be quite honest, bro. But uh, hanging in there and enjoying the playoffs so far, though. Yeah, and and we'll get to talking about that game shortly because. I also have it on in the moment, but uh, we've seen some good action this week. Uh, let's, we're going to start it with last week's play-in games, uh, where Armando and I both pre- correct, incorrectly predicted that the Baltimore Orioles would win, and we'll start with there, the AL game. Uh, Buck Showalter taking a lot of heat for leaving Zach Britton on the bench in a game that he lost in extra innings. Armando, you know, is it the- fireable? <laughs> yes, yes. Like you and me discussed, Grady Little got fired for way less than this. Um uh, you know, I, we went into this, and I, I actually gave him credit hours before on, on the podcast, hours before the game, and I said, you know what, I think the Blue, I mean, the, the Orioles will have an advantage because I think Buck Showalter is a really, really solid baseball mind, and he knows what he's doing, and he proved me completely wrong. He is a buffoon. He proved himself to be absolutely, I, I just don't know. I don't know what kind of lapse in judgment that is. You can't, you can't have that situation and have your best arm in the bullpen and not bring him in. What are you saving him for? I mean, I agree with everything you just said. Plus, there's another thing we have to discuss here. Ubaldo Jimenez is the man on the mound for you right there. Right. Right. Well, yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it was a no-brainer, bro. It was a no-brainer. And in the end, it just proves he has no brain. I, I don't know what to say because I'm really – I was baffled at the time. And, and as the days have gone on, I'm still pissed off about it because I think it's really that ridiculous of a call. Yeah. I, I mean, on the bright side, it gave resolution to a game that looked like it was never going to end. It was it, not, not I'm, not, I'm saying that like I'm complaining about it. I thought it was a great game. Yeah, no, but, no, I thought it was a great game. It was, it was uh, like we said, you know, we expected a, sl- a, you know, a slugfest and we got that tight ball game. We got extra innings baseball and it, it, it was a lot of fun. I mean, the Blue Jays did what the Blue Jays do, you know, walk off fashion. It is what it is. Baseball. Uh, it, it's 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 lovely in that way, you know what I mean? It, it 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 all ended in a second for Buck just because he made a very poor mistake, and it's it's one of those things. And I wouldn't trust Ubaldo Jimenez in any game, uh, much less in the decider with so much on the line. No, no, I, I once again I can't disagree with you because I'm the one who brought up the fact that it was Ubaldo Ubaldo <laughs> pitching at that point to begin with. But the other thing is, uh, you know, the Orioles created nothing. Stroman was allowed to establish his game. 
and just do whatever he wanted to. Outside Trumbo's two-run homer, they went, you know, another, they, they didn't score 10 of those innings, didn't really get a lot of base runners, weren't, uh, Manny Machado was nowhere in this game. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the, that's the part that's killers, seeing Machado nowhere. It's always going to be tough when your best player is uh, nowhere to be found and missing, and, and, I think we've seen that, you know, on a couple teams, and, uh, you know, I know we'll get into it, but the Giants haven't exactly been firing at all cylinders because Buster Posey hasn't been himself all season, and then uh, the Dodgers aren't exactly firing on all cylinders because the offense, aside from Corey Seager, is sputtering. It's one of those things that uh, you really need your stars to shine, and, and a lot of these teams right now, aside from, you know, Toronto and, and Cleveland, they're not really they're not really showing up. Yeah, but to be fair, Daniel Murphy is a team unto himself in October. Fair enough. Fair enough. Murphy's God, the exception to every rule. Yeah, yeah, every logical rule. But it was a great game. Great game in the AL. Uh, the one thing that you and I also probably need to uh, acknowledge at this point is the flawed construction of the Baltimore Orioles lineup. Uh, particularly as much as I like Adam Jones, because I've stated it a few times, and I suspect that you're an Adam Jones fan, having him a 310 career on base percentage as your leadoff hitter, uh, you know, it, it does underscore the remarkable job that Buck Showalter did getting a team that only scores by the home run to the playoffs. No, absolutely. But I think that's been a problem with the O's for some time, man. They're not a balanced team. They they rely too much on the big bop, and they're, they they don't have enough base runners to get it done and, and to, 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 to consistently put pressure on a team. They are absolutely that big bop, big fly, a lot like the Blue Jays, man. And, and we're seeing that, and, and it's just the Blue Jays are hot at the right time, it seems. Yeah, see, I don't want to talk about the Blue Jays now because we're going to get to them uh, shortly after this. But we're going to switch gears for a moment and talk about the NL game. Uh, or as I like to know it, torture. But, uh, <laughs> that was a long, long few hours for you, my friend. Oh, uh, I was, I, I was, um, I have a tendency after the Mets lose at the end of a season for like the first two hours to be the one rational Met fan who's not yelling at things. And it's like a delayed onset type of thing. And this was, this time was no different. And two days later, it really hurt. I can imagine. And now that. I think I can talk about it. Well, but, good, good. So let's go there, I mean, dude. You were there. Mainly because we have to. Yeah, and you were there. You were there in the <laughs> yeah. flesh. So go ahead. Let us in know how that planned out. Uh, not well. I mean, <laughs> listen this way. I can't complain about the pitchers, the pitcher, the pitchers duel I saw. As you know, we both predicted a pitcher's duel that would end, you know, 11-8. And you got to see Noah Syndergaard go out there and pitch better than almost anybody else could have in that situation except for the fact that he pitched against Madison Bumgarner. Yeah, Madison Bumgarner is, is a different breed, I'll tell you. Uh, especially in the playoffs, his intensity is, is almost like no other. And uh, he's just executed. And, and, and like you said, Noah did a great job. I thought Noah was probably more than you could have asked for in, in a game of that magnitude. And, and, and he delivered every bit. And uh, it's just, like you said, unfortunately, he ran into that buzzsaw that is uh, – you know, Madison Bumgarner, he's just unbeatable in the postseason, it seems. And I, I, it, it surprises me with, with as bad as, you know, the Giants have been to, to have so much rely on that guy. But he comes through time and time and time again, man. It, it doesn't make sense. It's almost irrational, their ability to win in deciding games, just because of the fact that you know, he's a pitcher. And even if he can come back and pitch, you know, throw 
you know, a few innings instead of a pen session on two days, you know, on his throw day or go out and pitch a complete game on three days rest. There's just something unnatural about his ability to compete under pressure. It's it's frightening, uh, having now been on the losing end of it in, in a deciding game of a uh, of a wild card. I don't like it because of the fact that it's you know, shattered me, but I can't give anything but uh, an, an undying amount of respect and an equal amount of utter, utter disdain. Welcome to my life. I deal with this so many times throughout the season every year. Um, he's a thorn in our side every time. Uh, we're lucky that we get to see Clint, uh, Kershaw and Bum go at it pretty often, and that's a lot of fun, two competitive guys. But ultimately, you know, Bum Gardner is a thorn in anybody's side, and when you face him as much as we do, I can tell you that it's no fun. So I totally understand where you're coming from, my friend. So if you think about it, put him, stack him up, and you have – Madison Bumgarner, Kurt Schilling, or John Smoltz to pick a big pitch a big game three for you. Which in the playoffs? Which one of the three do you take? I'm taking Bumgarner. Uh, I think I am too, and I didn't think that anybody. I didn't think that someone would get beyond those two because, as much as you can detest a person, and I've clarified this many, many times, is how much I dislike Kurt Schilling. But I will recognize the fact that that guy could fucking pitch. Yeah, when it counted and when it was necessary and when everything was on the line and everything is stacked against you, Kurt Schilling was the guy that you 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 wanted on that mound. And uh, like you said, he's not you know the most PC guy. He's not the most intelligent of people. Uh, but ultimately, on that mound, he was he was special when when it when it mattered most. And uh, John Smoltz, you can't say enough. John Smoltz, whether in the pen, whether out of the rotation, he was. Special in his own right as well, but for me, Madison Bumgarner is 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 rare. It's something that I don't think I've seen uh, in in a long, long time. As far, especially in the postseason, he's he's a rare breed, man. Yeah, absolutely. But the other thing that needs to be uh, underscored about this game is how bad the Mets at bats were the first time through the order. You can't let Bumgarner pitch go go through the first time through twenty one pitches. You can't let him get through three innings on twenty-one pitches. No, no. You the the approach was bad. I think uh, the the Mets were a little antsy. They were probably a little overexcited. Uh, wanted to do too much, and you know it, it's tough under the home crowd with all that energy in the building. I could see that happening, but against a, a guy like Bum, you just want to get into that bullpen as quickly as possible and make him work. And and you know he doesn't make a lot of mistakes, but when he does, you got to capitalize. And if you're swinging at the first pitch or or, or turning over, you know, a bad ball. You're not doing yourself any favor in the long run, and it's something that really did cost the Mets, I think, in that ballgame. Yeah, it did. It absolutely did. And then getting a runner in scoring position only once in the entire game and not being able to get him in certainly hurt. Uh, once the Giants got past Syndergaard, they got to Addison Reed in the eighth and Jury's Familia in the ninth. They they put some runners on against Reed. Uh, Brandon Belt actually struck out twice and won at bat, but the umpires didn't know what they were doing. We're we're gonna get to this later, but um, and then but Reed gets out of it. Uh, Familia, on the other hand, allows only his second home run of the season, uh, which is a remarkable stat, especially for a power pitcher. Just uh, not the right time to do so, and leaves Met fans with a lot of questions about their closer going forward. Yeah, uh, you know, it kind of reminds me. I like Familia a lot more than Armando Benitez when you guys had him. Everybody kinda, has brought that name up. I'm sorry, bro, but it reminds an outsider. I can tell you that the situation is kind of similar from an outside perspective. I'm sure you have a different yeah, well, perspective, but I have a slightly different perspective, which is that 
Armando Benitez also blew up this much in the regular season too, and Jerry's familiar does not. I would agree with that, 100%. Yeah. But it still doesn't make you feel good that he has now, in four straight postseason appearances, four straight blown saves. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't help his cause, that's for sure. And it's going to be a, you know, that's a tough sell, especially when you're a team that's expected to get here now. The Mets are a team that's quickly becoming, you know, one of those franchises that is expecting to get to the playoffs on a consistent basis with that staff and rotation. Uh, and we, I mean... It's tough to know that you have that and you still have question marks at the end because it, it, it's going to have to be addressed. It's just going to have to be addressed. It, it absolutely is. But at that point, we said goodbye to two of the ten teams in uh, in major league, in, in baseball. Uh, two wild card teams are out. That brings us to the division series and in the American League, not a whole lot of drama. Let's start first with the punch hurt around the world. Toronto and Texas uh, seem like there might be some juice to this one because of, you know, the, the Runet Odor, Jose Bautista and the, and the, you know, the enmity between the two teams, but it was a wet fart. Yeah. I mean, uh, Toronto just, you know, went to town. Uh, they, they, like I said, they got hot at the right time. It seems that, that home run against the Orioles really catapulted them into this series against the Rangers, and they just utterly dominated the, the Rangers. It's, it wasn't even close. It wasn't even enjoyable. It wasn't even a matchup. I think the Rangers were lackluster, and the, 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 the Blue Jays just brought that thunder. And then even the Blue Jays pitchers, you know, did themselves proud. I thought they pitched incredibly well during the series. I really, you know, we talked about the Rangers' run differential and, and their ability to win close games, but it was just not there for them. They, 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 they looked flat. They looked absolutely flat. Well, I mean, it's also close games mean that you have to actually keep the game close. Cole Hamels and Yu Darvish went out and just pitched their teams out of this, out of this season, especially Hamels. Hamels in game one was awful, absolutely awful. Everything was squared up. Everything was hit hard. And he couldn't even give him innings. He couldn't even, like, really get out of, you know, get deep and at least take one for the team to keep the pen fresh for game two. He just got rocked. Yeah, that's one of those things. Like, you know, we've seen it in game one. I know we'll get to it. But with the Dodgers, we saw Kershaw not have his best stuff and have to grind and, and still try to get some innings and still try to, you know, save your bullpen a little bit, especially in these short series. It's really important to, to have fresh arms. And but, but the Rangers, like you said, Cole Hamels did them no favors. The bullpen was spent after game one. There was just absolutely nothing in that in that team. The fire that we've seen in that team was, was not there. They, they didn't look like the same Texas Rangers that we had seen throughout the season. And another another point is uh, Joey Batista in the playoffs. I know he didn't get a hit in the second few games, but game one delivers a you know a homer drives in four. As as bad as he as he was in the regular season between the wild card game and then the the uh, game one, he he contributes. He, he contributes. Encarnacion contributes. Contributes. Donaldson contributes. They get it from everywhere. Yeah, I mean, with a lineup like that, you're not that surprised because they can all do it. But to see them do the job consistently, day in and day out, pick each other up. Like you said, Jose Bautista hasn't had a Jose Bautista-type season throughout the regular year. But when it counts, when it matters, he's there. He, he you know... He's 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 setting the tone in the against the Orioles. He's setting the tone here. Um, yeah, he's a big time player for them. I know he's not your favorite player with the way he conducts himself either on or off the field, but 
but he proves how important he is to that team and, and you know, why he's demanding the man, the money that he wants to stay there. Yeah. Yeah, and Edwin Encarnacion also just completely on fire. Edwin Encarnacion better get paid. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, it's just one of these things. Like, this team is so deep. Russell Martin, Troy Tulowitzki, team, guys like these, they're afterthoughts. They're afterthoughts in this yep. lineup, and that's that's incredibly dangerous going forward. If they could get enough from Sanchez, enough from Stroman, and and, and the rotation going forward, that you know them and them and Cleveland is going to be a very interesting matchup. Estrada was actually really good in Game One, and I always overlook Marcos Estrada just because of the fact that he is very atypical of a pitcher that's remotely successful in the American League right now, because he is a soft tossing righty. Those guys, you know, most of the time. They get found out if they don't have pinpoint control. He doesn't have pinpoint control. I don't get it, but it's working. Hey, man, sometimes you don't have to get it. It is what it is. When you're hot, you're hot. And when you're that team, we've seen it many times, many Octobers. Uh, It's just a matter of the ball bouncing your way. And it looks right now that Toronto, along with, you know, Cleveland, they they have a lot going for them, man. Absolutely. And let's let's move on to that Cleveland-Boston series. Obviously, the thing that's going to take over everybody's mind for the moment is the fact that uh, David Ortiz's career is now officially over. Uh, Conversations about him, his legacy, and the Hall of Fame uh, for a different day. But that's going to take a lot of the focus. But what really should take the focus is how putrid the Red Sox starting pitching was in this series. They got 10 innings out of David Price, uh, Rick Porcello, and Clay Buckholz. David Price is a farce. He's a joke and a thief. Um, he's proven time and again four different teams. He can't deliver in, in, in the postseason. Uh, it wasn't even a respectable performance. He he's just goes out there and he seems overwhelmed by the situation. He seems um, unable to keep his composure and make the pitches that he needs to make. I mean, ever since he came out of Vanderbilt, everybody's been saying, you know, David Price's composure is what makes him so special. The, the way that he's able to get out of funks and, and deliver time and time again and, and we've yet to see that in his career you can have a Cy Young and you can do it in the regular season man but anything anybody's ever going to remember is that you can't deliver in October and that's not the legacy you want to have and and we spoke about how important this series was going to be and how important this start was for Price and his legacy and and going forward and it just I I I mean it's he's he's a mess bro two and eight with a five five four ERA in the postseason yeah, he's that, getting paid two hundred ten million dollars. That it's 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 undeserved. I'm it, not gonna say he's stealing a living because he still pitches really well in the regular season. Although this year was not great, but he he has a mental block about pitching. He is the anti Bumgarner. Yeah, yeah, he's like what Chuck Chuck Knobloch was the second baseman. He just can't get over the hump. You know what I mean? He has this mental block and he just can't do it. It's a lot of the same to me. I agree with you. I think it's all mental because it's clear that his stuff is there. He's a dominant pitcher throughout the season. Like you said, maybe not this year, but his career track record shows that he's a dominant guy. He's an ace. And unfortunately for him in Boston, it just didn't happen. And it's not, you know, it didn't happen this year. And he's got a lot of work to do to rectify the situation if, if you know, he's going to change his image in the postseason, especially when it matters the most. Yeah, and it should be interesting to see how he copes with uh, with this winter and getting back to pitching next season because the Red Sox need him to be better. They're not going to go out and spend a ton of money on a pitcher in the in the offseason. They're going to say, we're gonna, we'll are gonna we go into next season with uh, Drew Pomerantz, depending on the health of his arm, David Price, uh, 
Rick Porcello, Stephen Wright, and Clay Buckholtz, and maybe they bring in another pit, and Eduardo Rodriguez, but they're not, they don't seem like a team that's going to go deep into the market for pitching. Uh, you never know because all the prospects that they have, they could try to turn something around. But this seems like the team it's going to be more or less next year, minus Ortiz and probably with Hanley Ramirez moving to the DH role. Yeah, no, uh, I agree. I agree. I don't expect them to make a lot of moves, and, and uh, that's unfortunate for them, and especially in the rotation, because, you know, like we said, Clint Buckholz is a joke of a starting pitcher. The way that he's, you know, gone about his entire career as a potential pitcher is still shocking and laughable, but... And then we think about Porcello. This year he was amazing, but we've also seen not-so-amazing stuff from Porcello in the past. So it's one of these things that, although some of these guys underachieved, others overachieved, but to get... I just can't see them sustaining something next season either. I think it's going to be a real uphill battle for them, especially if we see what the Yankees are doing as far as their young, their their youth movement and the things that they're doing uh, in New York. I, I just see it going to be a lot tougher next season even than it was this season. Yeah, I mean, also Toronto and Baltimore also figure to be decent. And the exactly. Rays to, the Rays figure to just take a lot of losses. But the one thing I'm interested with when it comes to the Red Sox – is going to be, do they try to change the makeup of the team to bout, to, get, to get a little bit more left-handed without Ortiz there? Because now it's Jackie Bradley Jr. and uh, Andrew Benintendi become your big left-handed bats. Everything else seems to be pretty right-handed. So they need a, do they need like a big middle-of-the-order left-handed bat? And it's also, do you buy Jackie, Bra- like how, how do you value, how do you value Jackie Bradley? Because he's, yeah, he's good. He's also really inconsistent. Uh, the Red Sox are a young team. I think they should be really good. But in this series, they just also looking at their their bats because we've covered their pitching. They were terrible. Yeah, and that was kind of surprising because their offense has been kind of what's been carrying them all season. Um, Jackie Bradley, I'll answer that question first. He's not somebody that really, you know, fills me with confidence. Like you said, he's inconsistent. We've seen him be the future, you know, center fielder for the Red Sox for quite some time. He's playing the position, but it still seems like untapped potential with him. He's a potential player as well. Uh, and we're just seeing, I, I like the young team. I like Xander Bogarts, Mookie Betts. They have a lot, a lot, a lot of young talent. Um, they'll be okay, I think, positionally and offensively, but I do think they're going to need a bopper with left-handed uh, ability to be able to like protect these guys because we're seeing it, you know, in the playoffs now with the Dodgers inability to hit left-handed pitching, it's really important to have a balanced lineup and to be able to, to uh, attack both, both, uh, you know, pitch both arms on the mound because this day and age with matchups and everything else, you know, with analytics, the way they are, you really do need to even the playing field. And I do think that the Mets are going to be very shorthanded in the left, left-sided hitting department. The Mets should be fine with it. The Red Sox. I mean, Red Sox. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Apologies. No, joke. Yeah. The Mets actually are too left-handed, but we'll get into that over the winter. Um, but uh, going to Cleveland, they seem like they're a little bit light-hitting, but they do all the little things right. Yeah, and they're coming up with the hits in the right time. I'll tell you what, uh, you know, we, we, we saw against against Boston, like we said, Boston's pitching wasn't exactly there and showing up, but but the Indians did everything they needed to. They had the Jake Rockin' or Progressive Field or whatever it's called now. Uh, it's good to see Cleveland back and playing good baseball. Uh, 
their pitching though is really what got them there. It's their bread and butter, and it 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 it, it lived up to every bit of uh, every bit of the hype. I'll tell you that much, man. They they really are going to deliver, and that's the reason that they that they're as deep as they are, and they're going to give the Blue Jays a really good run for their money. Yeah, I also really think the fact that they got Kluber more rest before the next series and allowing to reset their rotation will help them. You always want your best guy going to game one, especially in a given seven game series, because you could potentially get him one, four and five. And the way it figures against Toronto, they're going to need Kluber going as much as possible because Toronto's big bats are right-handed. Kluber's a right-handed pitcher. Not that it matters because Kluber can get lefties out too, but he matches up really well against that Toronto team. Uh, what do you think though about Cleveland's non-traditional three, four hitters, uh, Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez? Uh, I, I mean, they've done the business. Uh, I, I can't say that, that, uh, it's like you said, it's not traditional, um, but they're really doing the job and, and, and they, they do seem to be the catalyst of that team and that offense, the way they're going, the, the, the Indians seem to go and Francisco Lindor seems to be the heartbeat of that team. So I'm not surprised that he's in the heart of the order. I think they're doing the job and they have enough to get it done. Uh, you know, for me, it's just going to be solely how the pitching is able to, uh, you know, keep Toronto in check because Toronto for me is, is, you know, obviously incredibly offensively strong, but if they can keep it close, if, if Cleveland can keep it close, then I'm really going to like how Cleveland matches up here because they, they have enough in them to score, score the necessary runs to beat the Blue Jays, I think. Yeah, it's also helpful for Cleveland that it's finally gotten cold here in the Northeast and they have home field. Yeah, Toronto right. at home and indoors, ugly. That, Don't that, want to do it. That's a very, very, very good point. And that, uh, that again, only only helps the pitching staff and only helps, you know, uh, Cleveland because the ball doesn't carry and it's, it's, it's incredibly crappy time to get jammed in the cold. I'll tell you that much. It's no fun. Yeah, so game one of that series is on Friday night in Cleveland. But now uh, we move on to the team that they're going to the two teams that they're going to play the winners of these series. We're going to start with Chicago and San Francisco, uh, a two two one series at the moment. San Francisco coming back from the verge of elimination last night, winning their 10th straight uh, elimination game in the playoffs and, dr and and drawing up the most annoying possible term in sports, even your Giants. Yes. Um, well, actually, I'm incredibly surprised that they were able to, to, to win yesterday, uh, that they showed the fighting spirit and came back. Uh, it's just you don't want to, as a Dodger fan, it's like, oh, they have life. They have life. And like you said, the even your Giants, it just they don't seem to die. I, I think it's unlikely that they'll be able to, you know, come back and kill off the Cubs. But uh, for me, the, the, what stands out the most in this series so far has been pitchers who rake, man. Like, how – When's the last time we've seen this many big hits from pitchers in a postseason? I, I don't know, but Arietta's homer last night wasn't a cheapy. No, no, no. He <laughs> he definitely got all of that. Yeah. It, it, Jake Arietta, like Madison Bumgarner, has a capacity for total insufferability. And uh, part of me is a little bit glad that the Cubs lost last night. Partly because of the fact I want a more interesting series than a sweep now as a reasonably neutral observer with nothing but tiny bits of hatred for both teams. Uh, but you, I, I didn't, I wouldn't want to see a, uh, a you know, a, a series clinching interview with Jake Arrieta where he can talk about pimping a home run in, in, in the decider because that would be obnoxious. It would be, it would be incredibly obnoxious. I, I think you're a hundred percent right. Um, but when you're going to hit a ball that far, 
uh, I think you deserve the right to, 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 to do that a little bit, especially if it's going to be against Bumgarner. Yeah. So game one gave us – that was a, a phenomenal pitching performance between John Lackey and uh, Johnny Cueto. Uh, Javier Baez hitting a, a solo homer in the eighth, the only run of that game. Uh, game two, a thorough, a, a thorough Cubs beating. Uh, game three, you know, we get Connor Gillespie. Connor Gillespie also, he of the three run homer against Jerry's Familia, hitting a, hitting a game tying triple. Uh, hasn't been short on drama. No, no, it's, it's been, uh, it's been good. I, I, you know, it's been as, as a neutral as well. Although I hate the, the the Giants, I really don't care who we play. I think we actually match up better against the Giants. So, I'll, you know. But either way, I'm not. You're not going to hear me say I want the Giants to win, though. But either way, I think for me, what, what's impressive is the back and forth. The fact that you can't count either team out, and and I'm I'm enjoying the the, the chess match between Madden and Bochi. I'm enjoying, you know. Seeing players like Javi Baez who are inconsistent be big and 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 have the, the manager have faith in them, Connor Gillespie, these types of players that come in in really big situations and, and make it happen. This is she has the feel of a very scrappy old school National League matchup in the NLCS. I mean, in the NLDS here, and uh, I, I'm enjoying it. Now, here's the question: Game four obviously starts uh, tonight in less than two hours. John Lackey on the hill for the Cubs against Matty Moore for the Giants. Matt Moore now, sorry. Uh, for the Giants, who do you, ex- do you do you think the Giants have another win in them, or do you think the Cubs Cubs close it out here tonight? I think the Cubs close it out. Um, I think it's going to be a bullpen game. I don't expect either one of these guys to give you too much. At the first sign of trouble, they're going to be out. Um, I think Lackey will probably give you a little bit more. He's he's polished. He's uh, experienced. He's done this many many times in the past. Matt Moore, Matty Moore. Uh, he's inconsistent. Although he's had a better year this year, I suppose he still isn't what everybody expected him to be. Uh, I expect this to be a bullpen's race, and if that's the case, then I really do expect Chicago to, to have enough today and, and really, you know, and then close it out. I, I expect Chicago to be facing the winner of the teams playing right now. Yeah, I absolutely do too. Um, and, and I think they are the best team in this league. But moving on then to the, the last of the division series, uh, currently in the middle of the fourth inning of game four is 4-2 Dodgers. Dodgers starting Clay- Clayton Kershaw on short rest to s- try to stave off elimination. Uh, I don't know if I agree with starting Kershaw today. I just don't. Because it means you do? I do not agree. I do not agree with it. I would have gotten Urias. I mean, tomorrow or, or we got to go back to Washington. And um, whether you're thinking of throwing Urias or you're thinking of throwing Hill, we saw Hill not be that composed, not uh, keep his emotions in check and really not do a great job against the Nationals lineup. Uh, Julio Urias is a young man, a teenager still, a phenom. He has great stuff, but he's unproven, and he's going to have to do it on the road. For me, I would have preferred to have seen him out there today in front of the home crowd, and really, ultimately, it's not about winning today. It's about winning this, the both games. You have to win two games for the Dodgers. So this one isn't as important as the next one is, although I get it. You need to get past this one to get to the next one. I would have liked to have kept Clayton on, 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 um, full re- on, on regular rest, although I think, you know, the, the score line now and if Clayton could keep it up and, and, and the Dodgers could, you know, clinch today or, 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 you know, finish off the job today and, 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 and t- even up the series, then it was totally worth it, I guess, in hindsight, but it's not a move that I like. I, if it were me, you know, I don't question Dave Roberts that much. I think he's done a phenomenal job, but, uh, this one, I, I probably, when, when I heard the announcement this morning, I wasn't too thrilled with it to be quite honest. Yeah. I, I, I didn't like it at all. The other thing I, there's something else I don't like about this at all right now. 
two o'clock weekday start time for a playoff game on the West Coast? It's hard, man. And then I'm seeing tweets and people getting at me saying the stadium looked empty or you try to get down to downtown Los Angeles in the middle of, you know, the afternoon on a Tuesday. It's impossible. People will be there. The stadium will be full by the fifth. But you got to understand how hard it is to get down to Dodger Stadium in the middle of the week at this hour. I don't think it was well thought out. Um, why not? You know, the Cubs can play. I think maybe the Cubs, the different time zone, they can play a little earlier. We can have the nightcap, but it is what it is. I haven't seen, you know, I, I don't know who makes the schedules or why they are the way they are, but uh, I, I would like to see some changes, even if you have to spread it out a little bit more. Uh, you know, some night games during the week would be nice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have the Chicago-San Francisco series. So I get that both series are on the West Coast right now, but – that you can't give that series prime time both days in a row and shift the Giants and the Nats to being way beforehand because you still have the LA market and the Washington market. Those are big markets. You can't. You, you, I, I get that everybody wants to see the every other year Giants against the best team in baseball, Cubs, but people are going to watch that game regardless. So maybe give the LA fans a little bit, a little bit when the series is in LA and not make it a two o'clock game. Yeah, on a yeah, I wasn't happy. We saw a 10 a.m. makeup game over the weekend. That wasn't even fun to watch either that early in the morning. I was contemplating drinking or not. For you that were wondering, I did drink, so it is what it is. And I needed to after that loss. But, uh, yeah, man, it, it's not it, – it's the, it's the thing I, I dislike the most about postseason baseball. Or maybe the only thing I dislike about postseason baseball is that the schedules are just really poorly made out. And uh, it, it really doesn't take – you know the markets into consideration it's just whatever you know the tv media stations are, are i guess are, are king and they rule what what airs at what time but necessarily i think major league baseball needs to step in and give it equal you know equal spotlight because ultimately there's four teams in the national league still playing and they all have the same opportunity uh and ultimately one of those teams in the other series are going home so there's still going to be stuff to cover i don't know it just doesn't seem right to me either all right. So now that we know the the ALCS, get to a prediction on it. Who do you got between Toronto and Cleveland? Who's going to the World Series? I got Cleveland. Cleveland. Yeah, Cleveland. Yeah, the city that hasn't won anything, God knows how long. They might do it uh, two in one year. <laughs> you know, I, I really like Cleveland. Yeah, it's been like, rough for them since June. Yeah, I know. I see that, but I I like what they're doing. I I think their staff is is enough, and um, yeah, yeah, I I I like Cleveland. My gut tells me Cleveland. I've been wrong a lot this year. The Twins will be you know, the standing shining star there, but I, I've definitely been wrong a lot. And, uh, I, but I'm going to go Cleveland. I'll jinx them. Yeah. So, you know what? I've doubted Toronto at every step of the way this year and they've proven me wrong every time. And I'm picking Cleveland cause I'm prepared for Toronto to do it to me again. <laughs> there you go, my man. There you go. No, I mean, it's also, you know, what? it's also the, the same thing I consistently say all the time is, when it comes down to it, I always trust pitching over hitting. I agree. And I I, I, I trust Cleveland's pitching more. I, I trust agree. their starters more. I trust their pen more. Couldn't tell you better. I agree 100%. Pitching is uh, king for me, and I think that it, it, it does make a big difference, and that's why I'm going to go with Cleveland for sure. Yeah. And I just want to give every one of our listeners a caveat. Armando also is a fan of a Cleveland sports team. Uh, this one he would never pick to win anything. Well, can you blame me? And he, the Browns, and can you blame me? Like, they find a way to go up 20 and lose every weekend. How do you do that? I sit here, I laugh, I enjoy my coffee, and I go on with my life because the sun rises tomorrow, Justin. 
exactly. Sorry that I had to get that dig in. My football team sucks also. Uh, but moving on to the the National League series, we we picked the we picked the Cubs. Who do you see them facing? Or actually, you know what? I'm not even going to make you make a prediction there because that's too cruel. I'm going Dodgers. It doesn't matter. I know you're, going, I know you're win, going Dodgers, but we, it's too cool. If we win today, what I've seen from our team, the scrappiness in it, the togetherness in it, Dave Roberts making the right calls. Um, to be honest, this is a Dodger team that I'm very proud of and probably been more proud of this team for quite some time with all they went through. So I really do believe in them, and I they're showing me today that they still have a lot of fight left in them. Hopefully they can close this one out. Uh, it's going to be another nerve-wracking hour and a half for me here. And then, you know, We'll, we'll go on to game five, and, and I'll be a mess then too. But uh, I'm looking forward to that, and hopefully the Dodgers can do it. Uh, but, you know, if not, hats off to the Nats. They've actually played better than I anticipated this series. Their bats were a little bit livelier. We saw Murph. He, they, they rested him to perfection. He came back, and he's been a thorn in our side. He owns Clayton Kershaw. It's amazing what he does. Um, and uh, Bryce Harper's not been too shabby himself. Rendon's coming through. They're really, you know, doing their job. And uh, – it's something I didn't really expect. We even saw Gio Gonzalez yesterday do his job, and that was something that caught me off guard as well. So we just need to get it together and, you know, pick pick ourselves up and, and, and scrap like we have all season. So am I confident? I don't know if I'm confident or dumb, but uh, I believe in the boys to do it. Yeah, well, I'm not going to offer a prediction because of the fact that I don't want to put any jinx your way. But I, I will say that. this. I, I, I can't stand the Nationals, so seeing them lose would make me – fairly happy i hope we could do that for you buddy i hope we could do that for you all i got le- all i got left from a rooting interest is schadenfreude this, this 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 the rest of this way yeah i know yeah i know well you know hopefully we can deliver and eliminate those guys and you can enjoy the rest of the p- postseason uh without having to worry if they're gonna do it or not yeah that said i think the best possible matchup in the L- in the lcs is somehow both these West Coast teams turning it around and getting Dodgers Giants? Wouldn't that just be fantastic? Wouldn't that? Just I think be... I mean it. It would be great. I feel terrible for Cubs fans, but it would be great. It would. Yeah. No, I'd feel terrible for Cubs fans too. Um, but not that terrible. I would actually not no, mind they, seeing that whatsoever. No, because the Cubs also have are in the same city that has the Blackhawks, who won multiple Stanley Cup titles, and they had Michael Jordan. So. Yeah, they've they've suffered from the Cubs, but they it's not like they haven't had any other joys in their lives. You're right. They should try being a Jets, Mets, and Nick fan and see how that works <laughs> out. <for them. laughs> oh, I'm sorry, my friend. I feel so bad nah, for you. No, nah, oh. it's it, I, it goes back before we get into replay. It goes back before this season, before the postseason. ESPN put out for all ten teams that had qualified for postseason play a misery index, right? Who's the most miserable? Who's the least? The Cubs obviously attend because they've gone, you know, 108 years without winning the World Series. Haven't been to a World Series since 1945. The Indians obviously second because they haven't won a World Series since 1954. Haven't been to one since 1997. They had the gall and temerity to rank the Mets only at a three. <laughs> because, like, really? We're much more miserable than that. They haven't won the World Series in 30 years. As someone that uh, deals with you uh, a few times a week, I can say that you are, yes, much more miserable than that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, routine losses send me into, like, outer space at this point. (laughs) Vacillate between that and emotional numbness. It's fun watching you. It's fun. It's it's nice to observe. it's, 
It's a spectrum. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. It's good to it's good to care about things. As a Mets fan, you run the gamut of emotions. I'll tell you that much. That's absolutely yeah. true. All right. So speaking of the the most emotionless thing possible, let's talk about instant replay. I know you hate it. Hate it. I know that I hate parts of it. I hate all of it. It's gotten to the point where I hate all of it. I hate it all. I hate the fact that we can't decide whether the guy got hit by a pitch or hit the bat. We can't decide. How are you going to tell me that a gentleman slides into second base, clearly beats out a double? My whole life, it's been a double. Javi Baez got that double. It's been a double every day of my life, Justin. And all of a sudden, his shirt comes off the bag because that's the way that, you know, force took it. it. I can't do it. I can't. I can't do it. We saw this in Cleveland with with uh with uh Chisholm Hall. I I can't do it. I just it is the most annoying thing ever. Aside from fair or foul, I don't want it. I want it for boundary plays, and I think on tag plays, uh, tag plays it really should be restricted to this. You have you you get to challenge it. I, you challenge the play. The umpire gets to watch it twice in a fast motion. Yeah, that's fine. I, I would I would welcome fast motion. Actually, I wouldn't even mind if the damn official went up like in the NFL, gets under a little camera and checks it out himself. But these guys are just standing there with headsets. Some some jabron in New York or, or wherever he is is sitting there saying, you know what? I saw this 17 times in 87 different speeds. And I can tell you now his shirt was two centimeters off that bag. And he is now out, Justin. I don't understand it. Jabroni is one of my favorite things to call someone. <laughs> well, they, they, it is a great insult. I, I, it, I think it's appropriate here. Yeah. So I happen to. So I, boundary plays, I think it's unacceptable to get wrong. Okay, I can see that. That's fine. Now, the one area that I actually would like Major League Baseball to improve things is, and I don't know if you watch HBO's Real Sports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you see the piece they had on calling balls and strikes? I was able to catch a piece of it. Yeah. Uh, that I am totally in favor of taking away from the home plate umpire. I think I think the umpire at home. This, although you know, we were talking about this, and this is probably what both of us would like to see the most because that's the most inconsistent part of the game. Is a strike zone changes so much, and it's just so hard to keep it consistent, especially with human error. Uh, for me, umpires behind the plate are just not doing it. And they're not doing a good job. Joe West, all these guys, they've been doing it forever, and they just seem to get progressively worse and more and more inconsistent. I think there's too much pride in the position of umpire. I think there's too much ego that gets in the way as well. Uh, you know, like you said, an emotionless uh, type of type of way to go about this would probably be the best way. But I don't know if – I think this is going to be the hardest one to implement. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be the hardest because I don't think umpires want to give up that – you know, that, that judgment of this is my call and my play. But the thing that drives me insane about it is the strike zone's a prescribed area. And, you know, it's it's the batter's knees to their chest, to the letters, and then uh, the plate. There's G- there's enough GPS to get that right. And yeah, absolutely. I'm not talking about, like, ESPN or uh, TBSs because I don't know how well they calibrate theirs. I don't know. But the idea is that there is GPS tracking they can do. Uh, and I, uh, I, I'm sick of just seeing someone get called out on a pitch that's way outside or someone walk on a pitch that's pretty much at the knees and on the black. It's, it's, it's horrifying to, to see it. It actually makes me prefer to go to games so that I can't tell balls and strikes. 
Yeah, no, that makes a good point, man. And we see it with, you know, and the thing there, too, that also makes it an uneven playing field is a pitcher like Clayton Kershaw, Madison Bumgarner, Max Scherzer, they're going to get a little bit more leeway from these umpires than, let's say, you know, a rookie coming out, a Steven Matz or, or a kid like this coming out and trying to prove himself. They're not going to get that extra inch off the black that Greg Maddox used to get. They're not going to get that type of stuff. Uh, it, it, it is not an even playing field um, because, you know, they're human beings. There's a human element. There's favoritism. There is what it is. You could be as unbiased as you want, but you're a human being, and human nature still takes over. And for that simple reason, it, it's not ever going to be consistent. Yeah, no, I, that's the thing that's – and that's the part that's always going to get to me is that lack of consistency. It's because you shouldn't have to learn an umpire strike zone. Like that pitch that's an inch off the plate, it shouldn't be a strike for anybody. It's not a strike. It's off the plate. I agree 100%. 100%, man. As somebody that used to catch and having to deal with umpires and having to stroke their egos and be like, okay, and bite your tongue when something didn't go your way and having to politic to get a call for your guy, it definitely is politics. It definitely is, you know, a chess match back there between just the catcher and the umpire, the pitcher and the umpire, and it's, it's something that doesn't need to be there, although it's a, you know, a part of the game and woven in the fabric of the game, and, and we've talked about how you know we like a little bit of human error when, when when seeing some of these calls, you know, like like the plays at second base, I, where where the guy's shirt is off the bag and stuff like that. I think things like that should be left alone. Should be left up to the discretion of the umpire. I'm okay with that. That's how we've always watched baseball. But I agree with you 100%. Something as crucial, as vital, and as you know, constant in the game of baseball as the strike zone needs to be accurate without fail. Yeah, it is. The expression for a pitcher is a or pitcher or a hitter is can you expand the other person's strike zone? That's supposed to be like the guessing game between the hitter and the pitcher on what you're swinging at. It should, you don't need to invite a third party in there that to make it, it you know two against one effectively because that's how it works out. Some some guys don't call big strike zones. Some guys call very big strike zones. But the reality is they should be calling the same strike zone. Yeah, and some guys, the strike zone varies from day to day, so it's impossible to even get familiar with some of these umpires. And that's what that's that's the hardest part. Like you said, nobody should be getting acclimated to somebody else's, you know, dictation of a strike zone. It's clearly there, knees to knees to letters, the the plate. It's there. It's in the rule book. There's no need to expand on that. Uh, there should really, you know, not be a judgment call. It should just be black and white. But unfortunately, as there is in a lot of baseball. There's too much gray and too much gray in a lot of the wrong areas. I think I'm seeing now. Absolutely. But I think that brings us uh, to the end of this week's edition. Awesome, man. Awesome. Uh, you know, go Dodgers. That's all I really got to say. Um, I, I'm so excited. It's that time of the year where we don't really, words can't express how we feel, how tense the games are, how every pitch you're hanging on. It's a lot of fun. Uh, my fiance says I'm no fun to be around during this time of year, but I'm okay with that. I know that. My girlfriend last year during the Mets playoffs run just would just choose not to be home. Yeah, unless I, she knew I was going to the game. I, I don't. Then she then she'd be home. I, I don't blame her because I I probably wouldn't want to be around you during that mess of a time either. No, no, I I, I barely like being around. <laughs> oh I'm, man, I'm purposeless. Like if the Mets are in the playoffs, I am purposeless. For like a for for that for the entire duration of their run, except for the solid two hours, two to three, two and a half to three hours that the game is, I am useless for the rest of that time. <laughs> oh man, 
But you got to love watching like, baseball. I, I, you know, I, I sit there and I do like pitch sequence counts. I'm looking at, you know, the 25th man on the other team's roster's OPS. You know, looking looking to see, you know, how many, you know, his weighted runs created. Just getting into like super geeky stats about, you know, a guy who's been in the majors for two weeks. So the sample size is irrelevant anyway. You're sending smoke signals to Terry from the stands. It's great. I can only imagine you. Uh, Terry Collins would uh would not like me sending him smoke signals. It's okay. It's okay. Terry Collins doesn't seem like he likes a lot of people, to be quite honest. No, because also I would try to figure out via a smoke signal how to say resign. I think a lot of people are in that boat. But, you know, he, you have to give him credit, man. Uh, a lot of the injuries and a lot of stuff, he did a good job this year. Even during the times where we thought he wasn't doing that great a job, he still righted the ship enough to get you guys uh, where you guys rightfully deserved in the postseason. Yeah, you know, I, I will say this one one nice thing about Terry Collins is he is extremely good until games start. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, it's oh. Like, it, one of my friends told one of my friends when uh, his father, when I was when, when the Jets had hired Herm Edwards. So, uh, you know, it's towards the end of when I was in high school, the beginning of when I was in college was when Herm was the coach. Yeah. And he referred and, and I'd never heard someone refer to a, a football coach as that is the coach you want from your for your team from Monday to Saturday. I can see that. I mean, I can, I can see I can see what he means. I can see what he means. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what that's how I feel about Terry Collins. It's a shame. It's a shame. But, you know, ultimately, you guys have a good team, uh, and, and he's an aging manager, so he isn't going to be there forever, and you guys are going to need to make a change. Hopefully, you guys could groom a successor. We talked about this in the last podcast. There's people out there that can do that. Uh, yeah, I think the Mets are, although maybe not in the best managerial state, they, they can definitely improve on that, and, 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 and yeah. that, that's, that's the easiest part, I think. So is this, uh, is this our post-mortem on the Mets and we're, we're not talking about him again now until we get to the winter meetings? Because I think that's fair. That's fair. I think we, yeah. unless something happens uh, in, in, in the news about the Mets, I think we can uh, move on from the Mets for the rest of the uh, duration of the uh, baseball season here, Justin. Yeah, I just hope that you play I Will Remember You with the outro music for this. I will now. <laughs> <laughs> all right my man i'll all talk right. to you next thanks, week thanks thanks everybody listening from armando and i uh, we'll be back at you next week all right bye everybody Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Are you looking for a trusted property insurance partner to help your business grow and stay resilient? FM Global uses science, data, and research to help you make informed decisions. By working together, FM Global can help you grow your company with confidence and deliver the protection and expertise you need to thrive. We're also here to help you navigate the complex world of ESG. We'll work with you to identify and mitigate risks related to natural disasters and offer solutions that contribute to a more sustainable future. Let's prepare to prosper. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.